1: Hi, I'm Danielle Platka.
0: And I'm Mark Thiessen.
1: Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is going on?
0: Well, Danny, during the pandemic, we had an episode about the toilet paper shortage, and it was probably one of the most fun episodes we've ever done. Prompted a lot of scatological humor, <laughs> but the, we're now in the midst of something that's not funny at all, which is a baby formula shortage. And the reality is a lot of Americans are looking and saying, what, what is this, the Soviet Union? How can America, the most advanced economy in the face of the earth, have a shortage of baby formula where you literally have parents going to grocery stores and pharmacies and seeing empty shelves like GUM department store in the old Soviet Union where there's nothing to buy. It's really a government-created crisis. We have such a highly regulated industry when it comes to baby formula. I don't think people even realize how the baby formula is made, how the government impedes competition and production of baby formula. It's really a terrifying story of government intervention that is now causing a crisis across this country for parents all over the place. Okay. So,
1: I mean, for all of us who, now that we're coming out of the COVID pandemic, are so bloody sick and tired of hearing supply chain, COVID, supply chain as an excuse for everything. Let us now recognize that part of the problem here has nothing to do with supply chain and everything to do with the incompetence of the Food and Drug Administration. Everything to do with the fact that these people love to make the rules They love to put up bureaucratic hurdles. But when it comes to addressing problems or challenges, and there was a major problem here in the sense that there was a whistleblower suggesting that at Abbott Laboratories, where so much of this is made, conditions were beyond unsanitary. And the FDA In one of their plans. In one of their plants, and the FDA did absolutely nothing about it. Then, of course, it gets shut down, and that is a government imposed supply chain problem, not a COVID related supply chain problem. The thing I ask myself about all of this is you know, if the government is in charge of baby formula and they can't get their shit together for one of the most important products to Parents to to babies (laughs) to Americans that they profess to care about, why are we going to put them in charge of anything
0: else? First of all, Daddy, the reason I, I interjected and pointed out one plant is because, like, if one meat processing plant had a health problem or something like that, we would not have a national meat shortage. If one, you know, baby food factory, somewhere in America had health problems, we would not have a baby food shortage. I agree with you about the FDA's incompetence and a whistleblower came to them in October and it's taken till now for them to take it seriously and do anything about it. But putting aside that level of incompetence, there are only two companies in America that make the majority of baby formula, Abbott and Reckett. Uh, There's also Gerber makes some, but it's a much smaller player in the market. And 98% of all the infant formula consumed in the U.S. is produced by those companies. And the FDA treats baby formula like it was some very complicated pharmaceutical product, like it was a medicine or something like that. The level of regulation is far beyond what is necessary for a product like baby formula. You know, there's only two companies making baby formula, there are dozens of companies making baby food which the babies can eat in starting at six months. And usually they have formula. You have four kids, I have four kids. We all did this, uh, you know, they have formula for a year and then they transition to baby food. So you can put something in their bodies for six months that is regulated like it's the most complicated uh, vaccine, you know, in, 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 uh, in our pharmaceutical arsenal, but in six months you can start giving them strain peas that's made in a baby manufacturer. You can put that in their bodies, and it's perfectly fine and you don't need all that regulation. So this seems to me an example of overregulation that has inserted the government into an industry in a way that it doesn't have to be. And it's now we're paying a price because of that overregulation.
1: But I mean, this is the story about everything. You and I did a piece where we talked about supply chain issues in pharmaceuticals. And we noted that the vast mass of pharmaceuticals like ibuprofen, Most of our antibiotics and a whole variety of other medications actually come from China. I mean, I don't know what world people live in, in which they think that the standards in Chinese factories are even verifiable, let alone up to standards that we might expect. You know, and yet we do that, it just seems to me that this is sort of the ultimate in government regulation having a terrible result. There's another aspect of this that really disgusts me. Uh, The government is the prime purchaser of infant formula. I didn't know that. I I had no idea I was competing with the federal government when I bought extraordinarily expensive baby formula when my kids were small, because it is the primary purchaser for the WIC program, the Women, Infants, and Children Supplemental Nutrition Program, But guess what? Uh, Women who receive these subsidies from the federal government via WIC get a coupon to buy a particular kind of formula. And if they don't have that kind of formula, then they've got to go and get an exemption in order to get the kind of formula they need. You know, you said, what are we, the Soviet Union? And my answer to that is, uh, yeah, we're the Soviet Union. The it's government decides what formula your baby should have.
0: It's like the old Wendy's ad. Where they, Do you remember that one where they had the, no. uh, the Soviet fashion show? <laughs> and it was like the, the lady standing there and she's saying, swim bear, and it's a babushka coming out with an inflatable ball. And then they say, evening bear, and the same babushka comes out. She's holding a flashlight. And then the whole tagline was, you know, it gets pretty ugly when you have no choices in life. This is what we're becoming. This is, this is literally like the Soviet Union, where if you are dependent on the government, as poor people who are uh, stuck with the WIC program are, then you are told by the government which formula you can use. And you do not have any choices. And that is your choice unless you apply to the government for an exemption to allow you to change to a different formula. And then the other thing is baby formulas, incredibly expensive like strain peas aren't that expensive but baby formula is incredibly expensive why is that because they have to do all this fda testing and the barriers to entry into the market are so huge it costs so much to get fda approval to produce baby formula i mean i just looked up what what is in baby formula baby formula is purified cow's milk whey and casein as a protein source vegetable oil as a fat source Lactose is a carbohydrate, a vitamin mineral mix, and other ingredients depending on the manufacturer. This is not rocket science. This is not a vaccine. These are basic nutrients. It's not thing that we regulate on par with the- With the COVID, COVID vaccine. vaccines. Exactly. Yeah. We obviously have safety standards for food, you know, and we inspect food plant. The FDA, I'm sure, inspects all the baby food manufacturers and make sure that they're producing what they're producing is safe. But this isn't a pharmaceutical. It's food. Why is the government regulating food like it's a pharmaceutical, which makes the prices go sky high for people who are paying with of means who can pay for it out of their pockets? And then the justification for the government doing the WIC program and doing the single sourcing as well, but then they can negotiate big discounts for it. But they created the price hike to begin with, with all the regulation. So it's just a vicious circle of government ineptitude that's causing this problem. Right.
1: Oh, and by the way, we should definitely have the government do more now because yes, they've really absolutely. proven to us how fucking competent they are. <laughs> now, look, you know, this is exactly this is the COVID story. These are the people who didn't want private labs involved. These are the people who didn't want to approve certain vaccines. These are the people who have so much power and so little competence. And, you know, for people who have more money and who can really afford to pay through the nose or can hunt around to find alternatives, that's great. But for the genuinely needy, I don't know how the Biden administration can pretend to itself that it represents the people who need them the most, when in fact it has done nothing but let people down on this front. We read a great story about this in the Wall Street Journal that really laid out some of the things that have gotten elided over as we you know, talk about defense production and we talk about the jets winging their way full of baby formula, but actually talks about how we got here which is really important because if we don't understand how we got here, we can't fix it and it will happen again. Uh, Jesse Newman and Annie Gasparo are both reporters with the Wall Street Journal. They both operate out of the Chicago Bureau. Jesse covers food and agriculture from their corporate bureau, talking about farmers, ranchers, and food companies. Annie is a food reporter at the same Chicago Bureau, and she writes about packaged food companies and consumer tastes and things like that. They did this great piece. We'll link it in the transcript. But here are our guests.
3: Well, Annie,
0: Jesse, welcome to the podcast.
3: Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us.
0: Well, you had a fascinating uh, article in the Wall Street Journal explaining this baby formula shortage. Most Americans are sitting here looking at the store shelves, thinking, "Are is this a third world country? How can we have?" a shortage of baby formula in the United States of America. What's what's the reason?
3: I would say that it was sort of a perfect storm of events and conditions that brought us to this pretty shocking state. Um, You know, formula is this really unique product in which there's only a handful of manufacturers in the U.S. that make the stuff. And, you know, there's just two companies. There's Abbott Laboratories, which makes Similac, And then a company called Reckit that makes Infamil. And those two companies, they just, they dominate the market. They make up like 80% of US sales. And then you have Nestle, which makes Gerber products and a few other much smaller players and a manufacturer that makes some store brands. So there's sort of huge concentration in the industry, which means that, you know, if something goes wrong for one manufacturer, they're, aren't that many others that can step in and pick up the slack. And that's exactly what happened. We were first seeing shortages in stores in early 2020 when the pandemic hit. And the companies have faced you know, shipping delays and, and supply chain disruptions. And then supplies got better. But Formula started to be in short supply again in late 2021, late last year, because supply chains were just, you know, still really constrained. And then in February, there was a problem with one of the major producers. Abbott halted production at their biggest factory, which is in Sturgis, Michigan, which is responsible for upwards of like one fifth of formula in the US. They had to shut down their facility after complaints started to come in beginning a couple months prior to that in September of four babies who were infected with a coronabacter after they consumed the baby formula that Abbott made at its plant in Surgis. So you had sort of supply chain disruptions already, and then this big manufacturer that was taken offline. And I think those are two of the simplest <laughs> causes of where we are now. First of all, thanks to both
1: of you for being with us. I have a thousand different questions because I think this is a really interesting case study. One of the things that we talk about in our economy is the outsourcing of manufacturing and how terrible it is that not enough is done in the United States. And then we have this perfect example of something that is almost exclusively made in the United States and supplying U.S. consumers. And it is a complete storming shit show, as best I can tell. Let's talk for a second about how it has come to be that the United States produces 98% of infant formula that's purchased by Americans. I didn't know that. I learned that from your piece in the journal.
3: So. Ninety percent of what we consume is made here in the U.S. We really don't import all that much. We import um, a little bit from Mexico, from Chile, actually. But there are just, you know, huge regulatory barriers to importing formula. You know, essentially, European and other formula manufacturers have to jump through similar hoops that US manufacturers do except that, you know, because they do things differently, there's just all sorts of requirements that don't match up. So, labeling requirements, there are some nutritional requirements that aren't quite the same, and that means, you know, that they not only have to meet the requirements in their home countries, but then they also have to adjust their products and adjust their labeling to meet US specs, which is just a much bigger hurdle than, you know, than than most of them can. I would say that brand loyalty is also a huge part of this. Like when I've been told by former formula executives that when, you know, there's European or other manufacturers that look at the US market, they sort of see the dominance of Similac and Infamil and think, you know, I'm not going to spend millions of dollars to try to get into this market that, you know, two companies really have a stranglehold on. And so they then go and look elsewhere. It is true that there are also import tariffs that are applied to to formula from a lot of different countries, not from all countries, not from Mexico, but that's just another consideration that has probably limited imports to some degree. So there's just really high hurdles to to importing formula. So most of it we make right here in the US.
0: So a question to either one of you, but I mean, your piece pointed out that baby formula is one of the most highly regulated food products in the country. There's a huge barrier to entry. And so the result is we only have two companies that are producing this. There's almost no other industry like that in America. Why is the barrier to entry so high? This seems to be a problem of overregulation that has created this. It's like a perfect storm of tariffs keeping foreign products out and then internal regulation giving almost a monopoly to two companies so that when one plant closes down, it causes these enormous disruptions. Why can't other people get into the baby formula business?
3: If you think about it, we want formula to be safe. So, you know, it's really, it's really highly regulated. There's a law that was passed Passed in 1980 that governs like all sorts of aspects of infant formula production that goes well beyond, you know, how other foods are regulated. And, and you heard the companies last week when they were testifying in front of Congress, they talked about how they go through sort of like pharmaceutical grade you know, regulation and, and inspection. And I and, and a lot of people have said that formula is like closer to it's regulated more like a pharmaceutical product than it is a food. And so you know the, I think one of the other reasons that regulations are so stringent is just because like formula is a really important product. You know, particularly in the first six months of a baby's life, health officials in this country recommend that infants consume only breast milk or formula. So that means that formula is really the only safe alternative to breast milk for babies six months or younger. And so if families, you know, can't or choose not to breastfeed their children, then formula is their only option. There is no alternative. So, you know, that's one reason that we expect it to be really safe. Annie, do you wanna jump in?
2: Yeah. When the FDA regulates it, it's like Jesse was saying, the FDA calls this a sole source of nutrition for the people consuming it most of the time that is babies formula is also used for people with severe medical issues and allergies autoimmune diseases people who can't have food and they rely on formula often through feeding tubes so that they can get the nutrients they need so for the people consuming formula infants or people that have severe medical issues, this is their sole source of nutrition and it needs to be impeccable when it comes to safety. And when you're trying to come out with a baby formula in the US, you have to submit the recipe, telling them what is in it, all the nutrients that the FDA requires you to have in it. And then you also have to have the manufacturing plant inspected and then you also have to have studies for several weeks of infants who consumed they're called they, they call these studies growth studies to prove that the babies who consumed only your formula that you are submitting for approval that they grow at a normal rate that they get all the nutrients they need so these are just some examples of these high barriers you know not every company is is willing to go out and spend the money and spend the time to do all of this research you know it's millions upon millions of dollars
0: i mean that i i hear you but that you know at at 6 months babies start eating strained peas and sweet potato that's not regulated in any sort of fashion like that I, I was just looking at the list of companies that make uh, baby food is A2 milk company Beech-Nut Earth's Best Heinz Nature's One Cow and Gate Ella's Kitchen Farley's Gerber Happy Family Kid Fresh Mead Johnson Plum Baby I mean the list goes on and on like why is what we give the babies in the first 6 months treated like it's a like it's a vaccine <laughs> but then after 6 months we can give them strained peas that any almost anybody can make following basic health and safety guidelines. If one of those companies had lost a plant, we wouldn't have starving babies in the country after six months.
3: Well, but think about it. I mean, you just named off a lot of different products that babies can eat. And if they're strained peas made by Mead Johnson, you know, if there's something like, you know, a family can also just mash up their own broccoli. So there are other alternatives for baby food, which there just aren't uh, before six months. So your options are just greatly expanded after that time period.
2: I mean it, it goes back also to just the needs of an infant. A a baby under six months old can't consume food properly yet. You know, they they aren't able to process a lot of foods and they also are going through such rapid neurological and physical development that they need all of these vitamins. And it, it is recommended that babies at six months or even slightly before that can start trying different foods, but the primary source of their nutrients up until they're one is still breast milk or formula. Even at six months, they aren't able to consume cow's milk. And as they're growing, like introducing foods is helpful for babies to develop the ability to eat, but their primary source of nutrients is still formula. And that's why it's so important that formula be regulated so highly, even though babies start consuming baby food sooner than a year.
3: Right. And like Annie was saying, you know, the FDA set out for something like 30 different nutrients, vitamins and minerals. They said they are very specific about the minimum amounts and the maximum amounts of these nutrients, you know, that have to be in formula. I mean, nothing, you know, no other food is regulated that way. And those, the growth studies that Annie mentioned, that is one of the, they are really, really expensive. That's one of the barriers that we've been told specifically, you know, keeps other entrants out of the market, just having to, you know, pour millions of dollars into this growth study that, you know, not something every prospective manufacturer can do.
2: I spoke with Byheart, which is a new baby formula company, and they are the first in many years to open their own manufacturing plant. A lot of companies that have tried to get into the market in recent years, like Happy Baby and Bobby is another one, they have relied on an existing manufacturer because it was too expensive to open their own plant. And Byheart actually did what we're saying is so hard. They did their own growth studies. They opened their own manufacturing plant and they had to raise $190 million to do this. And it took them over six years to actually get there. And it just so happens that they opened their plant a couple months ago, right as this shortage was hitting. So it couldn't have been better timing. um, But they just said how they'd worked years and years to do this and it cost so much money. Just the plant itself was over $40 million to get rolling.
1: Okay, so what you lay out are a series of extraordinary, and I think that's probably the right word here extraordinary restrictions on capacity to produce an ingredient, something that is absolutely integral to the healthy growth and development of America's children. In other words, you know, if you want to talk about what matters to the American people, our babies matter to the American people. That being said, and I have four children and uh, I certainly would not have wanted to give them subpar formula. And I would have been as upset as all of the moms are out there and dads are out there who are, who are suffering because of this. But is European baby formula so inferior? When I go to a supermarket in Europe they are so aggressive in telling me what is in every single thing and what the allergens are and how it was manufactured. I can understand that you wouldn't want to buy baby formula made in China, although apparently we can buy most of our medications in China without fear. But I, I can understand that we may not want to buy it in China or Vietnam or some other you know, major, major producers of these sorts of things. But what's wrong with Europe?
2: I don't think anyone... Even the FDA is saying there's something inherently wrong with these formulas that are produced elsewhere. There's just a process where the FDA has to inspect it. And that's what they're doing. With the Defense Protection Act that the Biden administration invoked, they have been able to bring formula over from other countries. And they first have to have the FDA inspect it, which usually would take a long time but they're really speeding up that process in order to get it to babies faster and get it to those who need it faster. So they are trying to speed that up and make it more doable. But normally, like Jesse was saying, it's it's just such an expensive process for these companies. Okay,
1: that, that's fine. And I mean, I get that the process is the problem here. And it's also the barrier to entry for foreign goods. What I don't get is, why that process is so extreme in the first place
2: i mean i think you have to
3: think about the opposite like if you know we we do have a very different standard in the us than the you know european a regulatory body does like, uh, you know, many, most of the ingredients are the same. There's some slight differentiations on iron content, um, but like the way that we were describing FDA sets out the minimum and the maximum requirements for various different nutrients. Europe has a slightly different way of setting out the standards for these. And so, you know, I think this is causing a huge debate over whether it should be easier to import formula from other different countries. Um, But I think, You know, if the system were easier and, you know, and there were a problem with a European manufacturer, then you would have a lot of critics right now, you know, saying that the FDA fell down, you know, in its job um, and wasn't doing what it needed to do to keep formula safe. So I think this is a really important opportunity for people, you know, for us all to, to take to look at that system. But, you know, I think formula, you know, has been sort of set aside as as a product because it's so important, as Annie was describing, that FDA has gone to great lengths to try to protect the supply.
2: You know, even though most, the vast, vast majority has always been made here, Abbott has a factory in Ireland that they actually got FDA approval on that factory because when they opened it, they intended to import some of the the formula from Ireland. So, and they have been before this whole shortage, they were importing some, and then now they've ramped up how much they're importing because of the shortage. And so, you know, it's not impossible to, to make that process easier. If more companies sought FDA approval of their manufacturing plants in other countries, then it would be much easier to import it. And I, I think it is a good time to look at that.
1: Okay. You've described the incredibly high stakes involved, and you've talked about the FDA's role. I mean, the FDA is kind of the the gatekeeper here, uh, the quality control, and they impose all of these requirements on all of these factories, which is one of the things that makes it so very, very difficult for other entrants to the market because it's so expensive to comply. And, you know, again, we don't want bad baby formula. So, okay. What about the FDA? So the testimony that the FDA gave before the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Oversight really didn't make them look good. In short, they have these incredibly stringent standards, but when a whistleblower came and let them know about poor cleaning practices, untested formula, and what what ultimately was described as egregiously unsanitary conditions at uh, one of the plants, the Abbott plant, that just all sort of, you know, that, that was cool, that, that all happened and it wasn't a problem. How do we reconcile this? And just to give you my bottom line up front here, one of the reasons I'm asking is because of course, both the FDA and the CDC have been in the spotlight about their management in the early days of COVID. And so I'm curious, when you're reporting on this, what do you see about the role of the FDA?
3: I mean, obviously, FDA is uh, in the hot seat right now. They're taking a lot of uh, flack for how slow they have been to respond to this situation. You know, they talked about how the whistleblower report didn't get Escalated, you know, quickly enough to the right people, so you know they're having to, you know, to, to defend the way that they operate, and you know have said that they're looking at their process. I think both FDA and and Abbott are have a lot to answer for, and you know the FDA is continuing its investigation in Abbott's plant in Michigan, and. So I think they are, lawmakers in particular, are taking a close look at their funding and at their organization. And, you know, they're really, I think, having to struggle to explain why they weren't on top of the situation, you know, more quickly.
0: Can you talk to us about the other element of this, which is fascinating, is the WIC program. Apparently, the federal government is the highest consumer of baby formula in the country through the Women, Infants and Children program. And it's, it has a frame system where they have sales contracts for a single formula in each state. So like Oregon and DC use Abbott, California uses Reckitt, New Mexico uses Nestle. Is formula not like other foods where like people who are on the WIC program can go in like with food stamps and just buy formula? Or do you have to get it through some uniform system? How does the WIC program work and how does that affect the whole baby because formula industry?
2: Formula is really expensive. And because of that the WIC program makes a deal with the manufacturers to get it at a huge discount through these rebates. And the way it works is they get bids. Every few years, formula manufacturers bid for each state's contract. And you know what's in it for them is that they get a bunch of business, right? They're going to be the market leader in that state if they have the WIC contract. So the state basically takes whoever's going to give them the best deal. And that's how you end up with this single manufacturer for WIC in each state. And the result is that you end up seeing a lot more of that formula on shelves because like you said, the government is such a huge purchaser through WIC. WIC consumers are so big that a, a store is going to want to stock more of that formula if that's the WIC formula, right? And then they're also required to stock a certain amount because the government wants to make sure that WIC consumers have enough to choose from. So the reason that the biggest manufacturers keep getting bigger is because they have the majority of these WIC contracts. They are able to offer the best deals to the States because they have such great scale. Smaller manufacturers could never win because they can't offer those kind of rebates. Sometimes those rebates are 85%. So a consumer who's on WIC gets a voucher for free formula. They have to buy this certain brand, these certain sizes, but they get them for free. And the WIC program pays the retailer the wholesale price, And then the manufacturer refunds through a rebate somewhere, you know, sometimes like 85% of that cost to the WIC program. And the government says that this system, because they get it at such a discount, allows WIC to support up to 20% more consumers. And that's why they've continued to do it this way, because these rebates allow the program to go so much farther in helping so many more people. But the downside is that consumers who receive these vouchers for free formula are really confined and they have to have a medical exemption to get a different brand or a different type of formula. So it just really perpetuates this duopoly, essentially, because the biggest manufacturers have the vast majority of the state contracts. Reckitt with Infamil and Abbott with Similac have... Almost all of them, um, and honestly, Abbott. Part of the reason that the plant shutdown was so just devastating is because Abbott had the contracts in 34 states.
0: And so, can consumers in those states just go now, and are they st- they stuck waiting for Abbott to produce, or can they use other are there exemptions for them to use other types of formula? Like, I can imagine being a parent on WIC And going to the grocery store and seeing the competing brand there and knowing I can't buy it because my coupon uh, is only for the brand that's uh, out of stock.
2: Right. And the USDA runs the WIC program and they pretty quickly in February after the Abbott recall, they issued waivers and they allowed states to use the program to, to buy Other brands of formula, other sizes of cans of formula powder, and that flexibility has been great for WIC recipients. But pretty quickly, we just started to run out of formula of any brand. (laughs) So the waivers are only good if you can find something to buy. And secondly, it is hard to switch babies on formula. I personally have a 10-month-old who's been affected by this and trying to switch his formula he started throwing up and he doesn't have any medical issues or allergies but he just didn't like the other brand and eventually just wouldn't take a bottle and it's really important even though he can have solid food it's really important for him to get these nutrients and you know I had to drive around to a dozen stores the other day to find the brand that he likes so that he would drink a bottle and So it just, you know, even if the government allows you to use your vouchers for a different brand, or even if, you know, you're paying out of pocket and you find a different brand on a shelf, it doesn't solve your problem necessarily because your baby might not like that brand and might not drink the bottle.
0: Well, what do you do if you're in WIC and you're told you have to use a brand that your baby doesn't like? I mean, it seems to be incredibly regressive and anti-poor policy to have this, where a person who has means can go out and buy whatever in normal times before, when we're not having this disruption, go buy whatever formula they like. Uh, but right. poor people are stuck buying whatever formula the government gives them permission to, to buy. It's, well, like it's, it's, it's as opposed to what's best for their child.
2: Right. So for most babies that don't have any sort of food allergies, it's not so much an issue of they only like this one formula from the time they're born. It's really whatever they've had. So if you start a baby off on formula A and then three months later you try to switch it, that's going to be really hard on their gastrointestinal system. And Doctors that we've spoken to for these stories have said the new formula, it's not that it's bad for them or it's has anything, you know, wrong. It's just it might take a while to get their tummies to adjust. And so pre-shortage, WIC consumers, they were starting their babies out on that WIC formula. And so the babies were used to that. And there wasn't, you know, an issue. It's not like they're born only liking this one type. You know, it's just what they've been given. For the several months so far, and it's hard to switch them from that. However, WIC does have these medical exemptions. So if there is an allergy that your baby has or some you know reason they can't drink the WIC formula, you can get a medical exemption to buy a different brand um, or a different type. Uh, a lot of babies are able to do that if they do have some sort of medical issue That's their answer to your, you know, the problem you raise is that they can't get a medical exemption if they need it.
1: I'm with Mark. I mean, it sounds to me like this makes things so intensely difficult for people who don't have means and don't have choices. It really makes me, actually makes me angry. (laughs) So, exit question for you something that just, for me, mirrors all of the stupid conversations that have a political overlay put in one place. But I want to ask it, because I think it's important that we dispose of it one way or understand what's behind it. There's a a Republican congresswoman, can't remember what her name is, certainly a a rocket scientist in her other life. And she went down to the border and took pictures of places where people who have come legally across the border are staying with their children, and shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves of, of baby formula. Is that right? Is there something behind it? Is there something that that should explain this to people? I don't know the answer, but I
3: want to believe she's wrong. <laughs> Either of you, the government is required and has always been required to you know care to some degree for families coming across the border, and that has always included formula, as far as I am aware. Um, so I, I don't think you know this is. Different than it has been prior, so I, I think babies <laughs> have to be taken care of in there, and and you know fed breast milk or formula for the first six months. One way or another, they all babies are in need, uh, regardless of whether they are born you know here or, or elsewhere. Um, and so I didn't you know see the picture, but I think that the government is doing you know what it is. My understanding that it always has, um, and that still has a responsibility to do shortage or not.
2: And we also have spoken to people who say that the amount of formula that goes to these babies in need is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of what the rest of the country consumes and, and, you know, wouldn't put a dent in our shortage that we're experiencing nationwide. And and then I also do know, I don't know specifically about the photos that you're talking about, but I know some photos that have been circulating on social media have been disputed as not being infant formula. So, you know, I also think that people have to be very careful about images, knowing whether the image is what what people say it is.
1: Wise advice in all circumstances, I would say. (laughs) That's it for me, Mark.
0: Yep. No, thank you very much. That was really informative. Your article was Really eye-opening for a lot of people, and we're grateful to you both for joining us on the show.
2: Yeah. One final thought that we didn't talk about at all, and Jesse has done a lot of reporting on also, is just around the lack of support for people who want to breastfeed in the country, and that that has, over the years, led to more people using formula.
1: What is that? I mean, this is something that we didn't research very much, but- What do you mean when you say lack of support?
3: So I feel like this is a part of the story that is not getting a whole lot of focus, but deserves as much focus as regulations and imports um, and the WIC program, because it's really like a structural part of our society that is, you know, help driving demand for formula. I mean, what we you know, have spent a lot of time talking about have been sort of the supply shocks between the pandemic and Abbott's plant closing. Um, But there's sort of a demand story here as well. Uh, Families in this country are very dependent on formula. We had a statistic in the story, I think, you know, some like 80% of women start out breastfeeding immediately after they deliver their babies. But by the time children reach the age of one, the vast, vast majority, something between like 70 and 90% will receive some formula. So that's that's a big shift. And when we spoke to doctors and public health specialists, they say that that shift is largely driven by the social and economic factors. And those mean that is like short maternity leaves, in some cases, non-existent maternity leaves, or, you know, women taking maternity leave without it being paid. Um, And then there's just a lot of a lack of support in other ways, too. So if you are a woman who, you know, wishes to continue breastfeeding after you have returned to work, so, you know, many women have to return to work pretty quickly after they deliver. If you want to continue breastfeeding, you need the time and the space to do that, and you need a way to store your milk. Um, That's not the case in a lot of different workplaces. You know, that's why some families wind up introducing or using more formula than they might wish to so that's the that's the type of like uh you know sort of social policy issue here that also exists that you know we could we could choose to look at and if you offered more support for women once they were you know when they were after delivery before they had to go back to work and then continuing after they went back to work that would you know potentially be a way to help women you know reach their breastfeeding goals and you know continue to feed their children breast milk rather than rely uh, as much on formula interesting Terrific. Well, that's
1: a very valuable addition and something, again, also worth, worth considering and talking about. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for the education that you gave us with your really terrific work. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: So Danny, I understand why people, when there is a formula shortage here in America, that people are demagoguing the fact that uh, we're giving uh, formula to people who are crossing our border illegally to babies like that. Here's the reality of it. One, the border crisis, uh, we shouldn't have all these people coming across the border. We should have a secure border to begin with. But two, if the government wasn't screwing up the baby formula industry so badly, we'd have plenty of formula to give everybody. How are we in a situation where it should be a crisis that we were providing baby formula to people who crossed our border illegally? We should have so much baby formula in this country that, that it wouldn't be a problem. Them at all, so it's a confluence of government incompetence, both in terms of securing the border and over-regulating the uh, the formula industry to the point that one plant going offline has caused a national crisis, and people are and people can't get baby formula.
1: For me, the Biden response to this uh, was sort of I hate to say this, but typically embarrassing to him. He was asked by a reporter, Mr. President, Republicans have said that your administration should have anticipated the baby shortage before. And his response was, well, if we'd been better mind readers, I guess we could have. But we moved as quickly as the problem became apparent to us. I was like, dude, God, that was a bad answer, Mr. President. The right answer is to say we clearly have a problem here and we're getting to the bottom of it. And we're gonna fix it, and this is never gonna happen again, because in fact the government has put itself in the position of being mind readers. When you regulate everything, you are in charge of everything, and And I am totally fine. Right, and I am totally fine with the government being in charge of the armed forces because that is in the constitution. I am not fine with the government being in charge of absolutely everything else, and this. Federal mission creep is something that we don't talk about often enough, but it imbues enormous power and enormous responsibility in the government. And damn it, one thing we've learned in the last two years, they're not competent.
0: And this administration wants more government (laughs) and they want to put it in charge of more things. I just want to emphasize this point. One plant. This is one plant that has caused a disruption in the lives of millions of American parents. There's not another kind of food that Americans consume where one plant going offline because of health issues would cause a national disruption in production. One meat plant doesn't cause a national disruption. One vegetable processing plant doesn't cause national disruption. It is only because the government has made it impossible and so expensive to enter into the market that it has created a monopoly between two, co- or I guess it's not technically a monopoly because there are two countries, but, but for all intents and purposes, has allowed two companies to monopolize the entire baby formula industry in this country to the point that no one else can enter the market, no one else can compete with them. Prices are apparently set by the government because the government is the largest consumer of the product because we buy most of it through the WIC program. This is the textbook example of government regulation gone amok, treating baby formula, which is food, It's an important food. I had four kids and they all had formula at some point in their lives. I I, I don't want my kids to have bad formula, but it is a food, just like any other food. And the food that I gave them six months after they were born, which was strained peas, wasn't regulated like this. This is not a medical product. This is not a pharmaceutical. This is not a drug or a vaccine or an immunotherapy. It's food. It's nutrients. It's not that hard to make. There's no reason why the government should be regulating it like it's something that it isn't and causing all of these market distortions that are responsible for it. The government is the reason why you can't get baby formula right now. Putting aside their handling of this particular crisis, it should not be this expensive. It should not be this limited in production. And it should not be hard to get baby formula from First world countries in Europe, and it should not—it just shouldn't be this hard. And it's the governments that created the problem long before the the crisis in this one baby formula factory.
1: So, last comment from me: I've been thinking about the last part of our interview, where our guests added that part of what's exacerbating this problem is that women have moved away from breastfeeding. Now. I and perhaps some of our listeners are old enough to remember the women's liberation movement of the 1960s and 70s when you would have been simply flabbergasted to hear such a thing, right, that in fact the patriarchy was then trying to force women to stay home, to stay out of the office, to be chained to their baby and to their maternal responsibilities when they wanted the rights and the privileges that the men had to go out there and do their work. They weren't going to be enslaved in their household. Boy, have we come a long way from then when the argument is exactly the opposite. Part of the reason we're dependent upon formula is because women aren't allowed to stay home and
0: breastfeed.
1: Hmm. I wonder what Gloria Steinem would think.
0: Well, you know what? Uh, I, I always thought of formula as being part of that. Exactly what you said, which is it allowed women to go back to work and fathers to stay home and feed the kids. Sometimes, you know, like that, that wasn't that the goal of the uh, of the of the women's liberation movement?
1: Either way, this is a testament to exactly what we don't want in our lives, which is government running things. Folks, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Don't hesitate to reach out with ideas, comments, criticisms, whatever floats your boat.
0: And if you're looking for baby food on the on the shelves, there's plenty of it. But if you're looking for formula, good luck. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at org, Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C.
1: Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this.
0: Thanks for listening.